Welcome to Artworks, a series of shows about artists and their work. Episode 1, The Found Memories of Joachim Schmidt. A photograph taken on a beach of a young girl, maybe five years old, in a bikini wearing large sunglasses. Waves gently lap behind her as she looks up at the photographer with a big beaming smile. The photograph is ripped into four pieces, her face torn in two. Number 140, Bello Horizonte, August 1992. Joachim was born on the 21st of May 1955 in Ballingen, West Germany, close to the southern tip of the country. He shares his birthday with jazz musician Fats Waller, TV personality Mr. T, and American serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Wikipedia describes him as a Berlin-based artist who's worked with found photography since the early 1980s. In 1989, on the 150th anniversary of the invention of photography, Schmidt provocatively wrote, No new photographs until the old ones have been used up. Joachim considers himself a professional observer and one time went so far as to count how many photographs he looked at in a single day. The number was about 10,000. After that, he said, you just want to close your eyes, no more visual information. His work in the last few decades asks us to look seriously at images long considered unworthy of the art museum. Discarded snapshots, ID photographs, webcams, news photographs, cliches in amateur and even professional images. Often, Joachim has drawn the ire of photographers who don't understand his work and believe he does nothing but steal other people's pictures. In a Flickr discussion group, Victorious Control described Joachim as a pompous art punk thief. I mean, you know, I, I, I grew up in an environment where there was, like, cultural desert. Uh, there was no music, there was no literature, there was no visual art. Um, basically, there were animals and trees and... Uh, and Calvinist people who, who hate art. For me personally, things changed a lot when I, uh, by accident more or less, ended up on an exchange program, spent a few months in, in Stockholm, and it was the first time that I had been to a city, I mean, like, on my own, and uh, one day it started raining and I just ran into the next building, which turned out to be the Museum of Modern Art. I saw an exhibition by Andy Warhol and I was just blown away. A repeat pattern of a single cow's head, screen printed in neon pink against a fluorescent yellow background, presented as a wallpaper installation covering the museum walls. I thought, well, this is, this is so weird. I want to be an artist. I mean, this was like, wow, totally new world. Having found his calling, Joachim decides he wants to go to art school but his parents will only let him if he studies graphic design, a course with more vocational prospects. And then I started uh, basically educating myself, going to the library, reading whatever was available, uh, starting doing work on my own. The longer I, I, I did that during my studies, I, I was pretty much convinced I want to become a photographer. But at the same time, uh, I had, um, well, not discovered, I mean, it was, it was very present, the book by Susan Sontag on photography. Most tourists feel compelled to put the camera between themselves and whatever is remarkable that they encounter. Unsure of other responses, they take a picture. This gives shape to experience. Stop, take a photograph and move on. The method especially appeals to people handicapped by a ruthless work ethic. Germans, Japanese and Americans. 
And reading that was like uh, turning my mind around. And the, so there's all oh, there's so many interesting questions and doubts about all that. Uh, and I shifted my focus more to, I couldn't call it theory, but thinking about photography in a rather non-academic way. And I uh, started reading magazines. And I mean, most of the magazines that were there at that time were very much like, you know, how to make a good color photograph and what lens you need and what what film you need and, and, and stuff like that. And then whatever was discussed beyond that was so ridiculous and so I, I was con- convinced I can do better than that. He starts offering his writings to magazines, gets immediately published, and is welcomed as a writer. But over time, Joachim gets frustrated by the constraints of writing for other editors. Uh, so I, I started my own magazine with no money. I mean, just like absolutely zero money. But I was uh, devoted to doing that. And so I, I thought up a, a form of magazine that you could produce with, with little money. And basically it was Xerox copied pages uh, stapled together and I would make like 20 copies or so. And and once those were gone, I would make 20 more copies or 50 or whatever. Between 1982 and 1987, 24 issues of his magazine Photocritic are produced manually using only photocopiers and staples and distributed to around 400 subscribers. Images are such a complex thing that quite often... You can write about it as much as you want. You still don't really get there. It's just like the, the picture is, is, is stronger. Uh, and, and that's uh, in a way frustrating for a writer, but quite interesting for somebody working with images. And then something else happened that my attention slowly shifted. So I found what happening in, in art photography not that interesting, but I was more and more interested that photography is much more than art. You know, like people at that time tried to prove the point, but photography is an art. And the price of that was, of course, to exclude everything that was non-art. So that's not photography. That's just uh, business or bullshit or commerce or whatever. And I, I think one of the particularities of photography is also one of the fascinating aspects that it can be much, much more. And the very same picture can be seen in an art context, but also can work completely differently in a different context. I'm interested in what's happening around me, the patterns of human behavior. How unique are we and how non-unique are we? Quite a lot of what we do is is organized in, in recognizable patterns throughout large portions of society. To recognize uh, or to identify a pattern, you need to look at a lot of stuff. You first take in as much as possible, and then you basically look at it and say, oh, I saw that before, and that's up, 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 and it pops up here and there again. Archive 1986-1999, an image archive consisting of 726 panels, each measuring 40 by 50 centimetres. The panels contain between 2 and 60 recycled photographs found in newspapers, magazines, flea markets, all grouped together according to similarity. The groups include portraits of actors, portraits of anonymous people, couples, mothers and babies, as well as groups of photographs depicting food, animals, buildings and monuments around the world. Archive number 606, 1994 
10 staged photographs of individual chickens posing against colorful backdrops, each a different breed. No, that's one of my favorites with the chicken. I, I remember, uh, it, it's actually, they, they all come from a, a French magazine for chicken breeders. I mean, I wouldn't even know that there's a magazine of chicken breeders, but of course there is, or there was. Now it would be a website probably. But I, I, I remember buying that at a train station somewhere in France. You know, what a, what a mad world we're living in that at a train station, you can buy a French magazine for, of chicken breeders. <laughs> You know, when, when you're really in that kind of addictive mood, uh, you, you start looking at everything. Number 266, 1992. Twelve small black and white CCTV images clipped from newspapers and arranged in two rows on a piece of plain white card. Each picture shows a man in a shop or a bank, wearing sunglasses or a hood, pointing a gun at an unseen victim out of frame. I had really accumulated a, a huge amount of, of photographs taken from, from flea markets because I lived right next to the biggest Berlin flea market in that time. Stuff was, nobody was really, or not, only very few people would be, would be interested in buying snapshots. Uh, so you could get uh, big amounts for, for little money. And there was a particularity in, in West Berlin that uh, the population consisted to a very big proportion of single old women whose husbands had died in World War II. And when that generation died, basically everything what was in their apartment ended up in the flea market. So you would get like boxes of photographs and letters and whatever. And I, I would buy several boxes every weekend and then uh, sift through them. The more I became interested in that type of imagery, uh, the more I knew, okay, I, I was aware of, of, of that pet of, of those recurring patterns. Builder von der Strasse, Pictures from the Street, 1982 to 2012. For 30 years, Joachim picks up and archives every lost or abandoned photograph he comes across on the world's pavements. Each is placed on a white piece of card and captioned with the date and location of its discovery. As well as a record of his travels, the work documents the use and abuse of photographs. Almost all depict people, and more than half are torn or defaced. Pictures from the street is something that started very casually. Basically, I, I found one snapshot, I, I got interested, but it took years until I actually realized for myself what the quality I think is in there, and that I decided oh, this could actually become an artwork. So I had already accumulated quite a few pictures over the years, almost taking notes, but it was a very casual activities at the side. And then when I realized, oh, there's something in it, and I had the first exhibitions with it, it became very much in the, yeah, the, the center of my attention. Number one, Hamburg, August 1982. In two identical passport photographs that seem to have gone wrong, a balding, middle-aged white man with blonde wisps of hair and a blonde moustache looks away from the camera. He wears a white collared shirt and behind him, the orange and blue curtain options for the photo booth are both drawn. I remember a number of really happy moments, let's say, when you, when you find 
either an exceptionally beautiful photograph or quite a few of them on one pile. That, that sounds nearly like masochist, but something that is really torn up into tiny pieces. And then at, at home with, with tweezers, I, I would try to reassemble that and get as close as possible to what it was. And it's, it's quite a challenge. I mean, like opposed to a, a commercial puzzle, you don't know how many pieces there are and how many pictures there are. So it's quite often it takes a while until you realize, okay, these, these were actually three different pictures and these parts of those and those are missing. Number 217, Los Angeles, 1994. A couple pose for a formal portrait in front of a Christmas tree. She smiles and his hand covers hers. Because the photograph is torn into four pieces, only the top half of the man's face is visible. The rest of his body is absent. My way of walking changed. How, when I walked through a city, basically I was constantly scanning the, the, the ground. I wouldn't look at architecture or people or shop windows or whatever, just like scanning the ground constantly. And I, I mean, I, I did find lots of photographs. Everybody else told me, I never found a photograph. Yeah, of course, because you don't look for them, but I do. As digital photography becomes more prevalent around the world, Joachim comes across fewer and fewer discarded photographs. So in 2012, after collecting his 1,000th picture from the street, he decides to end the project. Lost Memories 2010 A collection of written appeals for the return of lost digital cameras as posted on various internet forums by desperate travellers pleading to be reunited with their memory cards. When, when I discovered the first notes about these lost or stolen cameras, I, for the first time I really realised how much importance these banal pictures have for people and how present they are in their lives and how desperate people are when they are missing and it's really mind-boggling and I, I was totally flattened I, about that tremendous emotion that's uh, in, uh, described in that loss. Lost or was stolen in Shepherd's Bush on the 1st of May 2010. MJU 820 Silver Olympus camera. The photos mean a lot to me and are a record of all the travels and memories which have not been uploaded yet. Would be really grateful if anyone could reply with any information. If found, I will pay a reward. Just really want the two gigabytes of memory card back, which contains all my memories. Thanks. One of the interesting things language-wise, that all of them nearly literally say, I want my memories back. Totally confusing the photograph with the memory. Lost Sony DSC-W1 at Cedar Point on the 2nd of August 2008. I lost my camera around Camp Snoopy when I had to take my daughter to the bathroom for an emergency potty break. We were sitting on some rocks in the landscaping around the bathrooms. It had pictures from that day and some pictures from one of our camping trips. I don't care that much about the camera, I just really want the pictures. I'm pretty sure someone took the camera as I was not in the restroom long and when I returned it was gone. Please, just help me get my memories back. I think it's it's a very desperate act, you know, posting something. It's like when you when you when you lease your dog or your cat, it's very desperate acts. People think they they got to do something, but chances are close to nil. Other people's photographs, two thousand and eight to two thousand and eleven. 
an encyclopedia of the subjects captured by 21st century amateur photographers. Across 96 books, each one focusing on a specific photographic idea or event, Joachim distills millions of vernacular photographs into identifiable groups and patterns. Although the photos are usually taken in different parts of the world and at different times, their compositions are almost always identical. The book titles themselves tell you precisely the images they contain. Airline meals, bags, big fish, bread, cash, cleavage, coffee, documents, dogs, faces in holes, feet, fridge doors, hotel rooms, mugshots, pizza, cell. I spent a lot of time looking at pictures on Flickr, looking at that most recent uploads and refreshing that site every few seconds and then just grabbing whatever uh, caught my interest, I would download. So I accumulated thousands and thousands of pictures and eventually then started again sorting them into categories similar as in the archive project, but just with a much, much bigger pool of of pictures to choose from. Now I have... um, Many more pictures, I mean, many more than I could ever possibly look at. And I have very contemporary pictures, and I'm not always one or two generations behind my own time. So I've, I found that extremely thrilling. A work like other people's photographs, I could not make using a search engine for two reasons. First is, I don't even know what I search for. I find these patterns, and the more important reason is that the vast majority of photographs on the internet actually are not captioned or not described, but the search engine works textually. So the first, the search engine only picks up what has been tagged appropriately. When I started making these, that, that series of books, Other People's Photographs, I naively thought it might be interesting to get some feedback on Flickr. So I, I, I made one of my uh, accounts public and uploaded photographs of the books and after not long, people picked up on that, and then the madness started. This machine kills fascists, wrote. This guy's a world-class piece of shit. It'd be great to have an FAQ session face-to-face so I could slap him after every answer. Jake Arome wrote, You're a douche, Joachim, for not alerting the photographers. All it takes is two clicks, and you lack the class to take that step. Good luck with the inevitable lawsuit. Funnily, uh, none of the people whose photographs I used uh, became aggressive or, or even became active. All those who think that they are potentially great artists and they, they could make a fortune if only the world were smart enough to acknowledge their quality and give them access to the market or whatever. I mean, you know, people have tremendously naive ideas. They think if they have a very expensive Canon camera with I don't know how many lenses, they are great photographers and then they apply all kinds of software filters and make that type of rubbish that dominates flickers nowadays. Jambiani Bob wrote, he sounds like a tosspot. Basically, he thinks other people's pictures are crap but when he steals it and uses it himself, it becomes art. Biz Carlito wrote, Like everything else moving in the contemporary art space, the line between genius and sometimes thievery is very thin. Ben Roberts wrote, It just feels exploitative and simply wrong to use people's images to make money without telling or asking them. I'm not a huge fan of witch hunts, but damn, 
this guy deserves to be on the end of one. Flickr, of course, is a perfect forum for them to connect. Like, like I mean, just like the internet is a perfect forum for, for every weirdo to connect to the other weirdo. Like, 20 years ago, if there was a weird people in, in, in Tokyo and another weird one in Berlin, they would never learn about each other. Now they find each other in no time. This is one of the big disadvantages of, of, of the modern world, that all the assholes connect. The type of Flickr user that dominates the discourse, they make pictures I wouldn't even touch with rubber gloves. And, and the pictures I was interested in for them, that was complete rubbish. There's no, there's no communication. And there's no, but then there's a lot of assumption about uh, what copyright is. And you know, I, I remember one of them even said, well, we, we should we, like hand them over to the FBI. The FBI would send over agents and, and arrest the man. And, I mean, why not the army? <laughs> there was so much vitriol against Joachim online that he genuinely feared for his safety when turning up to public talks. Once there was a direct threat, okay, he's showing up in New York at, uh, and talking, talking there, let's get, let's get over. I, I, was, I was really afraid at that moment. And did, did you do the talk? Yes, of course. And they didn't show up. I mean, after that, they were, they, they were there, but they are so cowards, they didn't even talk to me. None of them even asked publicly a question after. The, they, they just sit in the background and then go, go back home and put, open their laptops and put out all their, their, their hatred. But in public, they are total cowards. Cyberspace is 2004. Screenshots of live webcams broadcasting from empty bedrooms. The images are pixelated and of their time, full of saturated colours and high contrasts. A bed usually dominates the frame, often half-made or covered in garish colours and fabrics. And in the beginning, when people were getting excited, or few people were getting excited about uh, that internet thing, I was quite reluctant. but eventually I saw a friend who gave me a, a basic introduction about how that works. And like, you know, one of those dial up modems. It was frustrating, but at the same time I saw this, something is there. And then uh, it happened that I got very ill in 2003. And actually, basically I couldn't leave the house for months. My phone line became the only connection to the outside world. And I spent a lot of time just looking around and also for the first time it, it really worked that you you could actually look at stuff. And so I looked at this, looked at that, and I discovered all kinds of weird, weird phenomena, which is still, I mean, very early internet. It was totally different now, I think. You know, like photo hosting sites did not yet exist. Uh, but of course, search engine with also image search already did exist. So I started searching all kinds of images. I spent basically the day sitting in front of the computer and and looking at stuff, which is something I had never done before. I set myself a challenge. I said, I want to find pictures of people who do the same thing that I'm doing, sitting in front of a computer and staring at the screen. Let's find the mirror of myself. And I, I, I looked around, you know, like Google image search, people sitting in front of computer. It was, it was all not very good results. But eventually I arrived at webcams. I probably must have read about uh, these sex cams. 
And, and then I found a channel basically where you could enter through a back door without paying. I started spending time there and pretending to be a customer. By accident, I saw occasionally the performer had left. You could see the, the stage. And I found those pictures much more interesting. And so I started chatting with the performers and talked them out of the picture for a moment. And I just would take a screenshot and... Well, they, they probably thought, well, it's one, one of the perversions. What do we hear about what's happening? Well, probably they, they were not about what's happening in the world. I compiled a, a collection of, of pictures in very low definition of working rooms. In I mean, that's basically one of the new office environments in the Internet world, where people mostly from, from Russia, Eastern Europe or Southeast Asia make their living or try to make their living. I don't know what a good business that is. So. Cyberspace 10, 2004. A pixelated screenshot of a bedroom scene with satin sheets and beige pillows. A pair of heels lies on the bed facing the camera. In the background, fluffy handcuffs hang next to a leopard skin curtain. On a small shelf behind the pillows, a row of six dildos. If I remember correctly, they all had the same size, the same resolution. They were rather small camera images, 600 by 400 pixels or something like that. And then I processed them into larger prints, uh, but they're really rough. I mean, you like, you have really rough pixels, which I like, it's fine. I, it would be, would, would be stupid to trying to get rid of uh, what, what the, where they come, the, the, I mean, there's a visual quality in it that conveys where they come from and also what a poor visual experience that must be. A prolific and tireless artist, Joachim lists over 60 books and projects on his website. But after spending most of his life in Berlin, he's recently returned to the countryside and found new ways to occupy his time with new collaborators. My new favorite activity is making firewood. It's, it's fantastic. You know, like I collaborate with, with the beavers uh, the beavers do the illegal job for me. They, they cut down the trees. Then I slap the trees uh, over here and I saw them into pieces and then chop, chop them up and, and I heat the house with that. It's, uh, it's a very healthy exercise and I, I enjoy that a lot. It's, I, I can do without, but actually I, when, I, when I look at what I'm doing throughout the year, um, making firewood is, is one of my favorite things, yeah. Joachim's work can be seen in an upcoming solo show at P420 Gallery in Bologna, Italy in January, February or March 2021, whenever the gallery can reopen. His work can also be seen in the Image Looks Back, a group exhibition at the RMIT Gallery in Melbourne, Australia, which closed in March earlier this year due to the pandemic, but is said to reopen soon. Visit the RMIT and P420 websites for more information. Most of Joachim's work and the projects discussed in this program can be seen at his website lumpenphotographia.de That's photographia with an F instead of PH. And in case you're wondering, Lumpen is the German word for rags. Artworks is produced in Manchester, UK by Joe Gibson and Mishka Hanna. For more episodes, subscribe to our channel on Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or get in touch with me on Twitter at the handle Mishkahena.